You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast, a post-trade period and free agency period uh, edition. Uh, my name is Matt Walsh. I'll be host for the day, joined, as always, by Neil and Jake from ESPN. Neil, how are you going? Very, very well. Uh, yeah, last night was, was pretty hectic and uh, plenty to discuss, but it's always a good time of year for, for hope and for speculation, and, and there was certainly a lot of that. There certainly is, Jake. I mean, um, we, we sort of talk about it every year, but the punters love the trade period and the free agency period because it just offers hope to, to teams that aren't quite there, like uh, you know, your Geelongs who might fall at the final hurdle or your teams like Adelaide and North Melbourne who have hope for the future. Well, it really is. Uh, it, to this day, it's the thing. It's the biggest thing that surprised me most that it, when I started ESPN was how popular this time of year is for for the average fan. Just as you say, it's it's the it's the period where everyone has hope that their team's going to be much better uh, the following year, and people love it. Everyone's all about the trades, and this year in particular, I think I probably say it every year, but it feels like we've had so many big name players moving clubs. So it's been a really fascinating uh, last few days. Absolutely. There's been movement everywhere on every line, basically every team getting involved as well. And um, if you're not across at all, we do have a great piece on espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Uh, Chris Dory, our, our draft and trading expert, has put together basically a, the only piece you need. Uh, it'll, it'll say who's in, who's out. He'll give it a rating for each team. Uh, a couple of controversial ratings in there, I've got to say. Um, but check that out. As if always. You, if, <laughs> always. A couple of controversial ratings. But yes, check that out if you haven't, because it, uh, it's good stuff. Um, but also, Christian Jolly from Champion Data has joined us uh, once again for a, this special edition. Christian, you must have been looking at, uh, at the stats of a few players flying in and out of teams at, at, at some points throughout the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I try to keep it a little bit simple and only look into, into the players when the deals are done. So, but you always get. Uh, sort of sucked into the speculation and looking ahead and that, but I like to know. Yeah, when it, when a deal's done, that's when I officially start to look at the numbers. But yeah, it's been a yeah hectic few days, finished by a hectic hour or half hour last night. So yeah, plenty of drama wasn't there uh, as always. I mean, the AFL made it so that uh, clubs on the last day couldn't put any trades through until three pm, leaving uh, only three and a half four hours I think uh, or so of of action. And there was action right until the last seconds, and there were rules being made up on the run as well because. <laughs> The Zoom meetings were backed up beyond 7.30, which was the cutoff on Thursday night. So they had uh, emails flying back and forth. It was, it was truly the 2020 of, of trade and draft periods. But, Neil, there are some clear winners and losers uh, from this trade period. Uh, and we might as well start with, with arguably the biggest loser. In fact, I don't, even, I don't even think it's arguable. But the biggest loser on the day was Collingwood, who had to shed uh, some really big names and some really big contracts uh, because of the, the obvious TPP total player payment situation at that club. Yeah, nothing short of a disaster for the Pies. It looked like it was heading that way. All the noises coming out was that their salary cap was bursting. They'd made some really poor decisions with their, their contracts. Dane Beams coming back um, on huge money. Um, you know, Brody Grundy's massive deal, whether that was um, possibly going extending them a bit too far. Um, and it all came to fruition in the last couple of hours. Um, you know, Adam Trelaw, you know, they, I think it was last year, they signed him to a five-year extension on, on really big money. Uh, Jaden Stevenson, who won the Rising Star a couple of couple of years ago, had a down year, um, and Tom Phillips, who's a really handy handy wingman. Um, they they got rid of all them for for very little in return, and um, yeah, I mean, look, looking at social media last night and chatting to a couple of Pies mates, um, there, there's a lot of fury and anger towards the management of the club, um, and for me, probably one of the the most bizarre 
um, things that happened in the trade period was the list manager, Ned Guy, his interviews um, after the trade period. Poor concluded. And, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's difficult for one person to carry the can because these are all club decisions with probably three or four, you know, main stakeholders all, um, I guess, forcing his hand, but he's the one that has to front the media. But I couldn't believe he tried to spin it as a win for the Magpies. I think, you know, if he had to come out and said, look, it, our salary cap was a mess. We don't like letting great players go for pretty much nothing. And we just had to do the best we could in the situation. I think people would, would understand that and be quite sympathetic. But the mm. fact that he came out and said, oh, no, it wasn't a fire sale. Um, you know, we, we, we were keen to get back in the draft and get some good young players in and, and maybe we didn't need these guys anymore. It was a bit of a slap in the face for, for any Magpies fan, I would have thought. We're not going to do this for every team, but we'll highlight what came in and out of Collingwood because it's it's just so starkly, well, strange. We haven't sort of seen this sort of salary dump before, really. But picks 14, 65, 70, and a future second came in. Uh, and out went Trelaw, Phillips, Stevenson, Bosanavalagi, picks 39 and 42, Jake. Um, <laughs> what do you make of that? Well, I don't really know what else to add there. I think you guys have summed it up. I mean... As Neil said, you know, to, to kind of come out and say that they weren't they weren't dumping all these uh, players off because of the salary cap salary cap issues, well, it's just not true. I mean, you wouldn't be getting rid of these players, particularly someone like Adam Trelaw, who's only twenty seven, one of the best ball winners in the league. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, it all comes down to to a few years ago and all, and all the decisions that got made leading up to this. But it was always going to happen. I mean, you can't. You know, it's a league that has a salary cap. And mm. You can't just be paying everyone big dollars. And in the end, you know, you've let these players go for almost nothing in return. And, and, and if, if, we, if we saw Collingwood as a team that struggled to, um, to play finals this year, I mean, I don't see any way that they can make it next year with the, with the players that they've just lost. I think you summed it up in that the decisions were made a few years ago. It's not just, you know, a sudden thing that, that's come about all of a sudden. And it's a massive sliding doors moment because if the Pies had won that 2018 flag, I don't think any fan of that club would have had an issue with what's happening now. And you sort of say, great, we loaded up for a flag assault. We were successful. We won 2018. Uh, and now we've got to say goodbye to some, some really good players. And Phillips was excellent in 2018, that, that flag. Yeah, they, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have an issue with it. But I still think, as Neil said, it is a bit of a slap in the face when they, when they aren't honest with themselves and yes. their fans about yeah. what they're doing. Because it, it's clear that they're, they're, they're saying something that's not actually true. That was winners, the Christian, you would have had a look at... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, the biggest thing for me as the week played out was the silence from Collingwood and that, you know, you get a lot of list managers, you know, even football managers these days get on the front foot and they do the trade radio and they talk about, you know, quite, you know, there's still a little bit of, what do you call it, you know, smoke and shadows and things, but there's a little bit of honesty of, you know, we're moving this guy on and we're asking you to explore the options, but even to hear Jaden Stevenson's uh, um, interview yesterday where he just said he had to call Buckley himself, um, a whole lot of talk on Trelaw and they were just solemn about it. I just thought that was the, that was the weirdest thing to me is just that they, they could have, yeah, as, as Neil said at the start of it, they could have probably massaged the message a little bit better than they probably have across the last week and a half. Fair to say they've had a pretty poor, poor year for PR, Neil. They have. Um, and we, we won't want to dwell on one team for too long, but just to, to finish off on the Magpies, I'd be concerned about an ongoing you know, cultural effect as well. Like what, what would, if they're trying to attract a big name next year, and sign him on a, on a big deal. I mean, in the back of your mind, it would be like, well, you know, you're keen on me now, but what happens if I, if I have a, you know, a mediocre year next mm. year, you'll just get rid of me for nothing and, and, and sweep me out the door. Um, so, you know, I'd, 
I'd be really disappointed with the the off season for the Magpies. Um, we all talk about the runner up. We all talk about the runner up from the 2017 Grand Final, Adelaide, and their stark fall from grace. But I tell you what, Collingwood <laughs> Pies aren't far behind. They're not far behind. I they're mean, in danger. they're they're in danger of, of having a similar type year to to Adelaide. I'm not saying they're going to go 14 games in a row without winning, but yeah, there, there's. The alarm bells are ringing right now for the Pies. Uh, yeah, fair enough. From losers to the winners, Christian, cast your eye over a few of these clubs because a few clubs had some really good trade and, and free agency periods. The Blues did well, got their, their stuff done early. Uh, North Melbourne, for where their club is at, I thought they did pretty well. The D's got in Ben Brown for peanuts, or to basically turned Braden Pruce into Ben Brown, which is kind of hard to believe, but they've done okay. Um, the Dogs, A+, plus, but kind of a weird setup they're going to have next year. The Saints, I mean, who do you see as the clear winner from the trade uh, draft period, uh, the trade and free agency period? I mean, it's hard to sort of say a clear winner again because you sort of, I always say this every year, you're comparing apples with oranges because every club wants and feels they're in a different situation. So Melbourne, probably a big tick for them is, yeah, they got Ben Brown in and sort of, you know, uh, increased their draft hand as well, which is probably where, where they're at. Carlton lost the first round draft. They probably don't have much say in this year's draft, but got two guys that they wanted in, you know, heavily wanted in Saad and Williams and then got Fogarty uh, in towards the end. So, uh, again, you know, it, it, the, all the clubs you mentioned, I think, are all got ticks next to their names. But, again, to say that there's a clear winner is always hard. But, yeah, the, the Bulldogs, for me, I mean, um, to be able to keep Dunkley, whether, you know, hopefully that situation works out and you can get him still playing his best footy and then to bring in Trelaw, uh, yeah, it was probably, again, they're, they're the ones that have probably boosted their team instantly the most uh, on paper. So, But uh, a big one for me that we sort of, you know, always touch on at trade time and you're always worried about him is Hawthorne. Everyone sort of said Hawthorne had a very quiet trade period. All year we've sort of been banging on about, you know, who, how do they replace what they had? Do they need to rebuild? Uh, I mean, it was only something small, but they replaced Isaac Smith effectively with Tom Phillips um, by the end of it. So lost Isaac Smith through free agency. So... Uh, and got Tom, Pill- Tom Phillips for pick 64, I think the number was. So quite late in the draft. Looked at their numbers for the last three years. They're almost identical in terms of their, you know, I think uh, Tom Phillips is 1.5 more disposals per game. Isaac Smith's five metres more gained per game. Uh, has a little bit more impact on the scoreboard, but Tom Phillips probably plays more as a defensive winger. But they've basically replaced Isaac Smith with a version that's maybe five or six years younger than the one that they've just had. So again, a, a People are sort of saying Hawthorne were quiet and didn't do much. I've got a tick next to their name as well. That's probably a, a sort of an underrated tick. But they, they were like the, the vultures that sort of circle above the carcass of, of the pies, really. They just sort of went, oh, we can get this bloke really cheap, and they did, they did really well. Um, Jake, do you, do you rate what North have done? I mean, I know they lost Ben Brown, and you know, arguably they could have traded him the year before and got much better returns out of him uh, than what they well, did. But I mean, I'm a bit staggered that you, that you guys seem to think that North have done particularly well. I, I don't see that really... Where it, I don't see the positives for North. They've lost two of their best players, and they haven't really added that much to the to the list. I think it goes back again to where's each club's at. You say they've sort of lost two of their players, but they were moving them on. So whether that's a you know a good decision or not is to be seen. But they didn't they didn't lose players. They didn't have players walking out the door that they were planning to keep. Um, so again, in terms of you know probably behind closed doors, Aiden, Aiden Core, his. Uh, you know, he's got the equal eighth best loss rate of the top 100 one-on-one defender. So they brought in a really, um, you know, niche key defender that can just play his role each week. Jaden Stevenson, as we said, for, he goes straight into their best 22. Um, you know, might be in their top 10 best players, you know, is in first pick next year. 
for almost nothing um, got him. And as you said, like Ben Brown, Sean Higgins, these guys were asked to move on. So North were always looking for value for them. And I think they got a little bit back for them, uh, increased their draft hand slightly as well. So again, for, for where I think North know they're at and where they're trying to get to, I think that's why they get a tick, even though they, they haven't replaced the Ben Brown with another mm-hmm. 60 goals. Um, I still think they know where they're at and they're, they're heading in the direction that they plan to go in without you know, a, a massive exodus that was out of their hands. I agree. I think they could have been, well, they were thought of as a basket case a couple of weeks ago. And, and as you say, they've brought in some decent players, Core Stevenson, Young, um, a couple of picks as well. Uh, and they've still got picks two and 11 in this upcoming draft. So we sort of know where North is at. Um, and I know it's not great to lose a Ben Brown, you know, just keep, you know 60 goals three years in a row up until last year. Um, but you kind of, you know, them's the breaks and you've got to do the best with what you've got. Neil, as a D's man, you must be stoked, though, to get Ben Brown through the door. Probably something you've been missing since uh, Tom McDonald had his breakout year as a forward and Hogan the year before that. Yeah, I think, I think the fact that we need, you know, the Demons needed another key forward. Wiedemann's been sort of battling away, but he's, he's probably still better suited getting the number two uh, key defender. Brown, Brown was probably the best available um, key forward on the market with Danaher choosing to go north. Um, and until this year, he's been a model of consistency. You know, he, he's a bit of a one-trick pony, but he does it really well. He leads and marks, and he's so tall, and he, he takes the ball at the highest, highest point. Um, and the fact that, as you said before, Melbourne effectively traded Braden Proust for, uh, for Ben Brown is a massive win. Um, but I, the, the one thing that was interesting about the trade and, and almost looking back at, at North Melbourne is I think it's really important for fans to take a breath and look at the the collective ins and outs of a club rather than looking at individual deals. So in this example, North Melbourne looked like they got significant unders for Ben Brown, but then the picks they got for Ben Brown, they effectively traded for Jaden Stevenson. So Stevenson is a risk. He's, he's, when he plays well, it look, he, he looks like a world beater, but he's obviously had a pretty poor year. He's only but, 21 too. Yeah, they flipped a 28-year-old key forward that, that wasn't, you know, they're not going to be contending for four or five years. And they got in one of the best young forwards in the competition on his day, who is still so young. So it's, it's really important to, I guess, take a breath and, and not get worked up over individual trades until the end result at the end of the trade period uh, come through for each club. It's hard to stay patient, though. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Jake, the Saints continue to sort of upgrade every line. You look at what went out and like, you know, Nick Hind and they replace it with Jack Higgins from, from Richmond, uh, which is a, you know, a big tick. Brad Crouch comes in, adds a bit of you know, grunt into that midfield. Sean McKernan offers something up forward, I suppose. Um, you know, still got pick 21. Um, you know, what do you make of the Saints? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think they've they really they found the players that they really needed um, and they've brought them in. I think the obvious ones, Brad Crouch. I think that was probably the area that St Kilda needed a little bit more, a little bit more uh, talent here around the midfield. Um, I think the a steel and Crouch combination could work really well uh, next year. I think that's, as I said, that's the area that they needed more, and they got more. And and good credit to the Saints for doing it. A lot of clubs know what they need, but they still struggle to to add add that to the side. So I think the Saints had a really good period. I think McKernan is a player that has always shown glimpses of being a gun player, but it's just, it's been so inconsistent. He can do crazy things that you look at him and you think, gee, this guy could be a world beater, but then he doesn't do much for a few weeks. But who knows? You know, we've seen it before. Players have gone to other clubs and just totally rebuilt them, rebuilt their confidence and and the way they play. So Mm. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there and, and become a better player than he was at the Bombers. Um, and a player like Jack Higgins, as you said, you know, just another young player, another young, smart key forward. Um, you know, it doesn't have as no, many goals as someone. Forward, Jack. Uh, uh, 
Hmm. Uh, General Ford. I'm still thinking about Ben. I'm still thinking about Ben Brown. Yeah, I mean, probably the smallest guy on the team. But no, sorry, he's um, he is um, not quite the Jaden Stevenson type, but he's young as well. And there's goals that are coming. He wasn't getting opportunity at the Tigers, so no, I think I think they've done well, the Saints. Um, Jack Higgins is the one for me. I even put him in um, almost. you know, I think I'd almost bring him in as a bigger in- inclusion than uh, Brad Crouch in terms of his really? age and his upside. His, his junior numbers were the best junior numbers we've ever recorded until a bloke called Matthew Rao came around uh, a year later. <laughs> so was that when he, did he play as a midfielder in his under-18 years? Um, was that as a forward? A, a clear mid-forward, so probably a 50, maybe even a 60% split as, you know, more forward than midfield. And that was probably why he didn't go top 10 in the draft. And you could watch every game he played. He was clearly... Best on field, but again, the, the fact that recruiters are just so drawn to either key position players or genuine midfielders probably let him slip to even 17 to Richmond. Uh, in his first year there, he was third in score assists for him, playing as a small forward behind Shane Edwards, Dustin Martin. Um, you know, that was 2018 when, you know, Richmond had just come off a flag and he's just, yeah, he's, he's been able to produce as a small forward exactly what he, what he needed to do. The way he gets the ball, he just always has an impact on the scoreboard. Obviously, you know, the, the, the brain injury or sickness that he had, you know, has obviously derailed his career a bit and he sort of dropped out of the team this year. But you just, I kept, every time I looked at Richmond, you thought, they still have Jack Higgins to bring in. They still have Jack Higgins. No one realises how good this is. This guy is. Now he's going to St Kilda. Um, and as I said, Brad Crouch is going to get all the um, attention and all the headlines, but Jack Higgins could actually end up being um, a much better pick-up for St Kilda in the long run. Question without notice for the, for the team. One word only. Do they make top four next year, the Saints, Neil? No. Jake? No. Christian? No. Okay. Not a silly question, though. Not a silly question. Yeah, they're probably close. Um, the Cats, the Dad's Army, Neil. Um, what do we think of... <laughs> Sorry? They certainly are Dad's Army, yeah. <laughs> They've added uh, Jeremy Cameron, who is... Uh, he'll be 27 next year, I think. So he's not that old. Um, but uh, Sean Higgins, as Jake said, 32. Uh, Cameron was, geez, 13, 15 and 20 to get him in, three first round picks. But you th- sort of think that at, at the stage where Geelong is at as a club, uh, where they're on their, you know, the window's open, but it's, it's, it's about to close unless they, they do something drastic. Um, you know, 13, 15 and 20, they're not going to be part of the next flag, of this current flag assault. So it's probably fair that they traded them out to get a, a, a common medalist in the door. I think, I think fans of clubs that contend and then throw everything at, you know, trying to win a premiership, understand you know you've got to just risk it all to win it it's so rare to be in that window and the cats have been playing finals so regularly without um winning a flag so the fact that they've gone they've gone for jeremy cameron who's an amazing you know 40s coming off a bit of you know probably his only bad year in the last seven or eight so well worth the risk it all could blow up they could you know they could face a, a collingwood situation in a couple of years you know hopefully they're managing their their cap a little bit smarter and, and they might be able to um, manage the exits better but they're throwing everything at winning a flag in the next couple of years. And, and if they do, no one from Geelong will care if, if things go south a couple of years later. So they've, they've got to do it and they've done it. And, you know, they're going to be a pretty scary proposition next year playing, you know, assuming the world goes back to normal, playing every second week at Cardinia Park. I think they're going to be, you know, they're going to be premiership favourites um, coming round one next year, I would have thought. Fair enough. Jake, there are some teams that didn't do too much during the the trade and free agency period like Fremantle might be one of those Jesse Hogan goes out but um 
nothing really came in. They go into the draft with 12, 32 and 55 and, and mostly kept to themselves. I mean, can that be a bad thing? You look at Frio and, and the year that they had and the development they put in their kids. Is it a bad thing to not add too much at this stage of their development? Well, maybe not. I mean, they do have some really talented young players, as we, as we talked about throughout the year on the podcast, but maybe they feel that they need another year at the draft to, to bring in a little bit more. Um, you know, it's you look at a team like Carlton. Carlton had a few drafts of bringing in young players to, to get a group of you know, three, three, three or four drafts of bringing in, you know, a key core of young players that would make up the team going forward. And, you know, we talk about the, the young St. Frio players, Sarong, Brayshaw, Chera, they're, they're all talented players, but maybe they feel they need a few more before they start looking at bringing players in from other clubs. Fair enough. Hey, just quickly on the dogs, I know that this is a bit of a bugbear of all of ours, but whenever the All-Australian team gets announced every year, we always get upset when um, the selectors whack genuine midfielders on half-forward flanks or forward pockets. But just on the dogs and, and the additions and, and, well, the fact that they kept Dunkley in that midfield and add Trelaw to that midfield, how are they going to fit all these midfielders into that into that centre square? Do we have any idea? Well, it's very it's very much like 2016 all over again. I mean, that was the makeup of their team and how they they had so many players that could rotate in through the midfield and into the forward line. Um, and I know Christian's spoken about this before, but it just for me it it really brings back memories of that that year of the amount of players they had that could do that. Christian, you're going to get knocks on the door at Champion Data when you're helping out these All Australian selectors that. Oh, it'll be fair enough that we whack a midfielder on a half-forward flank because that's what the dogs are doing? I mean, yeah, and again, we sort of saw in 2016 when they won the premiership, they almost revolutionised that we do have a, you know, a specified position called mid-forward. Um, and they had, I think, had about 12 midfielders on their list and eight of them were mid-forwards. So they were, you know, just switching them all between. I think Mitch Wallace has ended up down there and ended up, you know, in the top three goal kickers for him this year and they sort of ended up finding a forward through there. But... It, it's interesting because it did go away. It was one of the um, trends I did notice earlier this year that the mid-forwards were just drying up, whether it was the shorter games. Um, guys were just, you know, you didn't have as many guys playing the mid-forward role um, across teams. I think there was actually two teams, West Coast and Sydney, at one stage that had no mid-forwards classified in their team. So, um, yeah, Luke Beveridge and the Bulldogs have always always loved those types of players, but even they sort of went away from it a little bit um, in recent times. Uh, but yeah, as you said, I think, again, another name that hasn't been mentioned is Liberatore is just a guy that you have to put in the centre square. His impact when he's at centre bounces and playing as a, you know, a clearance winner is probably one of the best at the club. But you've got McRae and Trelaw and Bonson Valley and Lockie Hunter, who they put in in front of him. But yeah, they're, they're um, you know, it's a two-pronged thing. They're, they're midfield scarily good, but how do you fit them all in and get the best out of them all is, yeah, remains to be seen. Spot on. I remember late, late in the season, probably six or seven weeks ago, we did a podcast special looking at the mid forwards and we you know, talked about Dusty and Danger and Petraka and the guys that can really impact. And remember a couple of the, the names that surprised me in that were Bontempelli and Dunkley and the fact that they impact so much as forwards. And it wasn't so much their marking or, or one-on-one work. It was the fact that in their stoppage work, they can just go to work where they do their best, where they, you know, where they do their, where their strengths are. And if there's any sort of forward 50 stoppages, they can rotate through there really well. So, you know, maybe, maybe the dogs actually have the weapons to, to have seven or eight genuine midfielders and a couple of them can roll forward and, and actually might work for them. I'm fascinated to see what Bevo does with that midfield cohort and, and the team overall. And, and the underrated aspect of their um, 
Trade Let's just be risk. thankful that Chris Scott isn't the isn't the doggies coach, or they'd all be playing in the back line. You'd have them all in the forward line. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just, I was going to say the underrated aspect of it all was that they managed to still keep enough uh, points to match any um, bid for the consensus number one pick, Jamara Yukelhagen. So there's there's that aspect of it as well for the dogs who are, who are likely going to get this academy pick through the draft as well. Mm, yeah. Um, let's move on. We we sort of touched on the teams, but in terms of actual just just player movement. There are some underrated additions that we haven't quite got to yet. And, and some of these names that, that moved and, and what was given up for them and what they'll add to their teams, I think, are, are really interesting. I mean, Alex Witherden, who, who was just starved of opportunities at Brisbane this year, who I really rate as a player. And, and I think the greatest way that you can sort of look at a player is think, geez, I'd love him at my team. And I was really hoping that as a Carlton supporter that um, even though the Blues have got these wonderful half, you know, Doherty and Saad and, and these boats and then potentially Williams going up halfback, it'd be great to have someone like Witherden in that team. But West Coast got him um, for, a, for a bargain, really. And, and he adds some, some great run and dash out of that halfback line, Christian. Yeah, so again, he's probably the third name we've mentioned now. So three of the top four 2018 now rising star um, placings in all moves. So here's the third name. So we spoke about um, obviously Jaden Stevenson and Jack Higgins, um, and Witherden I think was second or third that year. So and it's only you know 2018 is only two footy seasons ago. So amazing that you know so many players have moved. But Witherden for me, yeah, I can sort of see it both ways. I can see how West Coast get a big win. I mean, he was. His first two years where he was a regular for Brisbane, he played 44 games, was 13th in the comp for effective metres gained um, in that time. So, again, for a young player, he just, you know, as you said, he was able to move the ball out of the back line. But he can hurt you going the other way. So, again, he was um, conceded 213 points from his turnovers. So, he's very high risk, um, you know, type player. So, he can get you a lot of metres gained. But it really hurt Brisbane on the scoreboard. So, Across those two years he played, yeah, no, no other player conceded more points on the scoreboard from his turnovers. Um, and in, wow. in terms of differential, which is, you know, looking at the times that you intercept a score and turn it back the other way and they score, compared to when you turn it over and the opposition scores, he was at negative 136 points, which, again, was the worst in the competition uh, in that time. So, you know, general defenders usually high guys around him in that time was Shane Savage, Nathan Wilson. So they're all similar players, very high risk, high reward Um you know, players, but they can hurt you going the other way. So, again, yeah, I can see both both uh, sides of the fence. We didn't. I can see where Brisbane felt that he might have been hurting him down back, but you can see what West Coast are getting in terms of ball movement from from their defence. That's great um, insight. I didn't know he was so. You know, I, I knew that he was a he was a really good damaging kick, but I probably overlooked the times where he stuffed it up and cost cost the lines too. And that's yeah. what I mean. It could be a, you know, it's a, it's a great looking kick and it's a 50 metre kick down the line, but it, it might be when Brisbane just aren't in a position for him to move the ball that way. So it's not always going to be those fluff kicks that, you know, make the whole ground crowd groan. As I said, with a turnover, it's just when you've, you've had a disposal and you've lost possession of the ball, it seems to be Brisbane are out of position and the opposition seems to score, you know, more often than any other player. Interesting. Uh, one move that, that really upset, a uh, shout out to Michael Wise uh, in the Sydney office at ESPN here, a uh, big Spons fan, Alira Lear to Port, um, you know, a, a couple of years ago was one of the revelations down back as a, as a key defender. And now he finds his way over to Port, who I think is a really good fit for him because he'll benefit greatly from support in that back line. You know, Clury, Jonas, and, and even McKenzie this year who had a really good year. And I think he fits in really well, uh, Jake. 100%. I think he's a really underrated player. As you said, a couple of years ago, um, he really started to grow. He was He was playing more confidently. 
Um, really solid defender, and I think I think his best football's still ahead of him. I, I'm really confident in that I think Port have done well to pick him up, and and yeah, as you say, you look at their at their backline now; it's it's pretty sound. It, it certainly is. I mean, well, Port was so close this year. Um, you know, mm-hmm. led the ladder from from go to woe basically, and and now at this point of their development, not their development, but at this point of, of where they are, they're, they're just trying to add pieces where they can upgrade across the ground, Neil. And you think that this would be one of them? Yeah, I think he fits in perfectly as a key defender because he was he was played out of position this year. The Swans had such a ruck crisis that Ali was <laughs> asked to play in the ruck, and you know he just didn't look. It didn't suit him. He didn't look happy. Um, so he had a really poor year because he was played out of position, but. I think the fact that Port are going to lock him into that defensive 50 and it probably, you know, Trent McKenzie battled manfully all season as like an, over, like an undersized key defender. And I think Alir playing back, you know, he'll probably take the second tall and then that allows McKenzie to maybe be a bit more creative with his leg as well. So, you know, I think it's a great move for Port. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another one that caught our eye happened early, uh, early on. Peter Wright, two-metre Peter, moving from the Gold Coast Suns uh, down to the Bombers. Neil, you've got some thoughts on, on this move. Yeah, I'm still not sold on Peter Wright, but for you know, for a future fourth rounder, he's, he's absolutely worth the risk for the Dons, considering that they don't have a lot of key forward stocks. So he he's got a you know big tank for a big guy. He's got a big kick. Um, so it, he's still got a bit to prove with his competitiveness and his consistency. Um, but considering he was given away for basically nothing, I think it's a good bit of business for for Essendon. His output in recent seasons, Jake, hasn't quite been where we might have expected. Uh, you know, in his development, uh, he's still young. I think he's only 24. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, his development for where he was taken in the draft, he's probably just not quite there. And, and maybe that's why the Suns thought it was uh, best to move him on for, for the pick that they got in return. Yeah. And I don't hate it. I mean, with, without Danaher, I mean, you've, you've got to try something. You've got to, you've got to roll the dice and, and try and try and get a key forward in there. And, and look, if, if it doesn't work, you haven't given up that much for him. And if it does, then all of a sudden, it's a, it's a stroke of genius getting him in. Absolutely. I don't hate the You talk about his development time. The last, you know, he didn't play much this year, but looking back at the 2019 season um, and at the end of that season, he had a relative rating, which looks at your age and your position and how you're sort of tracking against, you know, guys historically in that position. He was negative 1%. So for a 200-centimetre key forward, they, they always take time. You need patience with them. Um, so yeah, negative one's not one percent. He was you know right on average, you know right on target to be an average or you know a, a decent key forward across the competition. Um, I just think he'd lost his spot. I think you know you look at Gold Coast forward line and Ben King and things like that. So I think it's a win-win for both clubs. He was you know still owed a bit of money for the next few, two years for Gold Coast, but I think they they'd worked out what they wanted in their forward line and um, Essendon were crying out for a key forward. So. Uh, I'd still give him time and say he's got yeah another three or four years to prove himself being so tall and the position he plays. For sure. A couple of other names we mentioned earlier as underrated additions. I think Phillips to the Hawks for pick 65-odd was the no-brainer and, and a really good sage pickup for for Hawthorne. And, and as we mentioned before as well, Jack Higgins to the Saints, uh, an upgrade on Nick Hind who's you know, in and out of the team a fair bit. So um, any other players, gents, that, that uh, we haven't mentioned that sort of jump out as, as sort of sage additions over this period? Well, I think we have mentioned his name, but I'm, I think it really does fit in this category is Sean Higgins. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes, he's 32. You love him. Great, I think he's a fantastic player. He's one of the best ball users in the league. He's very underrated. Um, he, can, he can play the defensive side, the attacking side, or he can play right in the centre. And he's very good everywhere. I think it's a great pickup for the Cats, who have at times have struggled with a bit of ball use. 
Um, obviously, everyone will talk about Jeremy Cameron, but if Cameron goes into the forward line and partners up with Hawkins, I mean, they just about have the two best key forwards in the comp. Hopefully, that means Dangerfield can then be pushed back into the midfield, spend a little bit more time there. And then you've got another option in um, in Higgins. I think it's, and Neil said it before, you'd, he'd be surprised if the Cats don't start round one as, as flag favourites. I mean, it's hard to go past the Tigers, but the Cats should be right, right there with them. Um, and is this the last year for the Cats? I feel like we've said it the last three years and it's, it's their last chance. But, you know, they just keep seeming to to keep on going and keep on bringing players in, and it's another life that they've got. So, and, and Isaac Smith, we haven't spoken about him. I, I know his output's a bit down, but you know, he's a four premierships for Isaac Smith. I mean, he's another one that, that has just got the experience and um, you, you'd want him in your team. So I think the Cats have done really well and, and Higgins is the one that is the, is the trade that I'm really impressed to see how he goes next year. Yeah, just uh, another word uh, running around the room. Do you do you think the Cats are the flag favourites at, at this stage of, of, I guess, the pre-season, Jake? Yes, I do. I yep. think they're the team to beat. Yep. Christian? Yep. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll back the Cats in. I backed them in this year and fell just agonisingly short. Looked good halfway through the second quarter of the grand final. <laughs> they were home at halftime. What happened? <laughs> Bruce McAvady just Dusty about called them home too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to wrap this up shortly. Uh, thanks for joining us on this special edition of the podcast. Uh, but before we do go, the trade period overall, Neil, I've got to say, I can see what the AFL does trying to draw out the intrigue every year and have, you know, back pages you know, locked up for as long as they can throughout the off-season. But by gosh, is it too long? Because I found myself sort of looking at my watch on on Monday after no trades had been done for three or four days over the weekend, mid-halfway through, and just thought, what's the point? I I think it's absolutely too long um, for everybody apart from the AFL. So I think you nailed it. Like They just want to dominate media coverage, um, you know, radio shows, websites, newspapers, it, it just dominates the landscape when the competition has been finished for, for a long time. So hats off them for sort of manipulating the media landscape. But I think the, ideally it might even go for a, maybe, maybe even four days, but do it like a Thursday, Friday, give teams the weekend to catch a breath and throw some other ideas around and then nail them Monday, Tuesday or something like that. Don't mind that. Jake, yeah, um, you know, do, you, do you drift out when you're sort of trying to keep up with this coverage throughout two well, or three you know, weeks? is you get... What tends to happen is you get the, the trades right at the start that you kind of know you they've already been spoken about and then not much happens, all this speculation, and then you get everything happening in the last the last hours of the trade period. I don't I, I like the idea of shortening it, but as Neil said, I mean the AFL, if anything, they want to make it longer. They want to make it as long <laughs> as possible to get people, you know, tuning in and reading all the headlines. So um, uh, look at, at the same time, it does feel long, but I said before we started that you know, we had so many towards the end that you kind of you're looking back and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that that player moved there. So you kind of do lose track because so much is happening. Uh, you just need to space it out a little bit better. But I don't know how you do that. <laughs> As a member of the media, I feel bad for the guys on on radio, various radio stations. You know, Monday halfway through when then nothing's happened for three days and nothing will happen for another two days, and they've got to try and pad four hours of radio. And then all of a sudden, you've got all this stuff happening in one go, and it's very easy to miss things that are happening. So You yeah, don't know where to look. Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, I'd, I wouldn't mind it if it was just one day. Put them under the pump. They've had months to get this sort of stuff sorted behind the, the closed doors. The official period doesn't need to be that long. But, uh, you know, as you say, Neil, um, dollar 
dollar is the king and, and from all, uh, from all accounts, uh, trade radio and all that sort of stuff does really well. And we've had really good numbers on, on our site too. So you can kind of see why the AFL pursues this sort of method. <laughs> they love it. Yep. Um, Fair enough. Hey, we're running out of time. So we're going to wrap it up there. Um, guys, thanks for joining me. We're going to have another podcast, uh, after the draft, Neil, I believe. Just, just ahead of the draft, I just think. Just ahead of the draft, my apologies. PBA, uh, around draft time. Yes, we're going to try and get Chris Dory, the draft expert, in. He's going to run us through uh, all the players uh, just to watch out for, really, after a year that's really hard to pick as a recruiter. Um, so we'll try and get him on um, for an episode just uh, before the draft, so early next month, I think that is. But, Christian, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for coming out of hibernation. I know that you're probably got, got a week. You, had, you were on some leave recently, so apologies for dragging you out of that. Uh, always good to hear from you and, and your insights. Jake, Neil, thanks for joining us, uh, guys, and we will speak to you in the next one early next month. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.